Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. Good afternoon. I could sense more confidence, both in the um, feedback and also in the facilitation. Um, I know we've jumped into a very new technique today, um, so it's good to see you stumbling a little bit. Um, but I, I did spend some time at lunchtime sort of making some notes of things I want to clarify. Uh, but before that, um, is anything coming up that needs some attention? Why do you say it twice? Uh, same reason I read the poem twice. If you just said thinking, you might just be like, oh, thinking. But when you say it twice, there's something about the second time that uh, deepens the acknowledgement of what's present. That's why I read your essays twice. Yeah, because the first time, yeah, the first time I'm really biased and I'm like, oh God, what is she thinking? I mean, she must be Greek, you know? And then I like clear that out and the second time I'm like, wow, this is actually a fabulous paper. <laughs> she must be Greek. <laughs> Um, the practice that we're doing in order to look more closely at mindfulness of thinking is a practice that we just call labeling. And the way that I learned labeling was we did it with the senses. So while you're meditating, you say to yourself, seeing, seeing, hearing, hearing, thinking, thinking, feeling, feeling. And it's really interesting, um, but I don't teach it. I find it's, it's too much, too much work. Um, but there are some personalities that love that way of working. It's just not my personality. Uh, so I just really simplify it. And um, I use it only for mindfulness of thinking, which is thinking, thinking. And some of you might prefer future, future past, past. The purpose, though, is that I think we don't realize how identified we are with our thoughts. We don't see it. We're just so used to... It's almost like instead of being human beings, we're human thinkers. 
Because most of the time, that's what we associate with being somebody, is thinking. And also, we're a little bit conceited, and we think that all the thoughts are mine. I remember a powerful experience in Toronto. I went with my brother to go see Ravi Shankar play several years ago with his daughter. Not, not the pop singer daughter, the other one. Um, and uh, um, Anushka is her name. His other daughter is uh, Nora Jones. You know, do you know her? So anyways, um, he played this incredible concert, the two of them improvising. I mean, that must be amazing to play with a, your kid or play with your parent. You know? And just amazing improvising. And at the end of the concert, the whole place, everybody stood up for a standing ovation. It was really a, you know when you can feel the whole room is kind of feeling the same thing? And everyone just stood up right away. So he was so delighted. So he stood up and he put his instrument down and he did a standing ovation and was clapping and was so happy about, like he was acknowledging that something special had happened. But he never uh, bowed, he never said thank you. He was acknowledging this amazing music that happened and taking no uh, credit for it. Do you ever see ballet? Has anybody seen ballet? At the end of a ballet performance, they come out and they bow, and then they come out again, and they bow, and then they come out again, and they bow, and then maybe like three or more, four more times. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And this was exactly the opposite of that, which was, um, wow. So, um, our thoughts are not our thoughts. Now it's interesting, because it's a paradox, because we're using thoughts to acknowledge thoughts, to let go of thoughts. And this is an important detail, because human beings work this way. It's getting into your question about why do we say it twice. Um, I think a really good example is appreciation. When, you're, when you have friendship or relationship with somebody, and you feel appreciation, it doesn't really mean that much until you say it out loud. You know, somebody could feel appreciative of something you've done, who you live with. Maybe you cleaned up the living room while the other person was out. And it was a Saturday and you had the day off and you could have done 20 other things. And the person comes back and you get into conversation and then you have dinner and it just, it, nothing said. Or you're sitting at dinner and the other person says, I noticed the living room so clean and I really appreciate that you, you cleaned it. And something goes in that's a little bit deeper. In, in, in Buddhism, when we do the precepts, when people take their vows, um, it's a tradition that you ask the person three times whether they can uphold the vows. And likewise, Caitlin was just married. And I officiated the wedding which is a great privilege. And um, when you get married, you don't just stand there and exchange rings. Uh, you say, I do, I will, I can. We did it three times. 
And there's something about that acknowledgement that goes deeper than just um, feeling something. You feel something and you acknowledge it, you say something. And words become very profound in that context. I think they were profound. Like if you vowed internally and just said yes, that wouldn't be the same as saying out loud yes. And what we did in the ceremony, is it okay if I tell them about yeah. the ceremony? What we did in, in, in Nathan and Caitlin's ceremony is after they made vows to each other, I then said to everybody who was at the wedding, you're the community, so now can you uphold your vows to them? And everybody said, yes, we will. And then I said again, are you sure? And then we, we did it three times. So they made vows to each other, and then the community made vows to them. Because uh, you can't do it by, you can't do a marriage all by yourself. Michael, did, did they, they um, everyone who was there know this was going to happen? No, no, we just, so we just sprung it on them. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin didn't even know it was going to happen. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Did we go over that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So the purpose of a label is a fuller acknowledgement of what is, of what's right here. So let's keep that in mind when we're labeling thinking. It's a fuller acknowledgement of our addiction to thinking. Just like when someone says, yes, I'm an alcoholic. It's a fuller acknowledgement. And when you make the acknowledgement, there's something in you that can relax. Because you know what's there. The second thing I wanted to mention, this is, my, I spent my lunch thinking about these things. Second thing I wanted to mention is, um, when you say thinking, thinking, when you get the hang of it, notice the tone of the voice that's acknowledging the thinking. Is it harsh? Is it bored? Is it complacent? There's an attitude that comes along with labeling. Noticing the notice that attitude. This is very helpful for people who judge themselves negatively. It is very important for people who judge themselves negatively to, to catch if they're saying thinking, thinking, and adding this kind of negative spin to it. So the trick is, how do you notice something in a way that's soft and receptive? That's the trick. 
That's what we're really doing here. How we're staying soft and receptive to our experience. And noticing that we have this addiction to thinking. And this is mindfulness. This is non-judgmental awareness. Non-judgmental awareness. And the last thing that I wanted to mention is that there can be some drawbacks. The first one is it can be too mechanical. You're not really in it. You're just doing the motions. And that's why I say only do it for five or seven minutes. Like if you're sitting 30 minutes, just do it when you need it. Like don't note for 30 minutes. It can get too mechanical. Um, so it can be done too long or too long. And um, there are some personalities who are a little bit OCD. Do you have OCD in the UK? Um, who feel like if they don't note, their minds will be out of control. So to watch out for that too. You know? Like if somebody's really into, um, if someone's really controlling, like you don't give them noting practice or counting practice because they get really really into the counting and then they can't drop it and it doesn't get them concentrated some people like to start the labeling practice right when they at the beginning of the sit some people like to introduce it as they're getting more concentrated And the last point is, here's the ratio. 5% labeling, 95% experiencing. So when you do the label, thinking, thinking, that's only 5% of your energy. 95% of your energy is still experiencing what's happening. Some people turn it around and do like 95% energy around the labeling and are a little proud of themselves for it. 95% experience, 5% labeling. And that's why I say label like a whisper. Just like let the label come up. And I also like to think of the label as saying yes to experience. So it's like you're saying no to thinking to say yes to the experience. And it's you learning how to talk to yourself and say to yourself, stay here, stay here. <laughs> or maybe even for some people it's saying, especially people who, are, who really go off on daydreams, you know, which is probably nobody here, but saying like, I won't abandon myself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just read the other day um, 
Shunta Rigoshe expresses the same thing, saying the act of making friends with yourself over and over. And yeah, over. that's nice. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Making friends with yourself over and over and over. I, I might even say just making friends with your experience. Again and again and again and again. Having a friendly attitude towards your experience. Until it's not a technique anymore. And it's just like a sensibility that you have. You know, you know sometimes when you have a friend who's really struggling, or you say this to a kid sometimes, you say to them, I won't abandon you. So it's like training in that. Like not abandoning your experience. Not abandoning your body. And in a minute, I want to end some, with a, I want to go back and just guide you through this practice one more time. But, but before I guide you through, I, I just want to check in again and see if there's any questions. Or, because because I, I talked to a few people and, and it seems like I was getting this sense that when you start to look at mindfulness of the mind, sometimes it seems inconceivable that thinking is optional. <laughs> Or that, th or that thinking, like, that you don't make your thoughts. That you don't construct your thoughts. Or as we say sometimes, thoughts without a thinker. Like, who is thinking all these thoughts? And then, of course, the paradox is, who are you? It, 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 when you're just not thinking all the time. It's like, imagine you go into a room and it's really crowded and you're just trying to like find your way through, which feels like, you know, that's how I feel at a party. Like, how do I get through this? <laughs> and then you could go into the same room and there's only a couple people in there and you're just really aware of the space. I've been to the Tate Modern twice. Three, three times. I, I've, I've gone there three times just to look at one painting. My favorite painting is there by Cy Twombly. Do you know Cy Twombly? Mm. It's my favorite painting. It's not there anymore. It's not there? No, I went looking for it last time. Really? Yeah. Huh? No Cy Twombly's out. Wait, last time that was I was it? here? Yeah. Oh, I went and saw it. Oh, during the Heart Sutra or during the... Heart Sutra. Huh. Or in between, anyway. Okay. We'll find it. Maybe you couldn't see it because there are so many people in front of you. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, is if you go at a certain time of day, you just, it's not a great experience because you, you can't have time and space with a lot of the art because there are so many Canadians. <laughs> but, but, but if you go right when they open, 
um, you really get a sense of the architecture of the space and the thoughtfulness of the space. So it's like that in our minds too, right? It's so crowded most of the time and we don't have a sense of spaciousness. There's no spaciousness. So when you say thinking, thinking, you catch yourself, you come back, so spaciousness opens up. I hope you can feel this. So any, any comments before we um, switch gears and I, we're gonna do a little guided meditation. You missed what I said? Like the last 20 minutes? You would come back to why you say thinking, thinking twice, and then you went under the bags, which was three times. So is there a significance to the twice? It's just a deeper acknowledgement of what's there that I think if we said once, we'd probably miss. Isabella and then Dixon. The same question as before. Um, when you say these are not your thoughts, I feel like that opens up a can of worms of what to trust uh -huh. about about um, about who you are, but how you how you decide who you are and how you express yourself and. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels like a black hole. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound like a question. I mean, to me, that's a really interesting insight, which is, uh, who am I? How do I define myself? Uh, you know, wh where, do, where do these, like, am I just a construct? So what comes up for you when you, when you start to think about this? difficult. The idea of it. The, hmm. the reality of it. Uh -huh. The idea of it? No. The or the reality? Maybe more the idea. Hmm. So forget the idea of it, because that's thinking, thinking. No. Can you see that? It's like, it's like, I think the emotion is like about an idea of what would happen. Do you know? So that's why we talked yesterday about just the field. Like just keep trusting in the practice. Because the ego, if I can theorize, the ego is like, holy shit. I'm gonna be out of a job. Because, because my job is basically to make stories about everything. Like to make everything about me. But some wiser part of ourselves starts to see the ego rather than being the ego. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, we're mostly the ego. And then it's like we shift and we start to see the ego. And when I say ego, I mean the storyteller. And how that's only just like this one part of us. So then who am I? Where'd you go? <laughs> Did you go into a story? Welcome <laughs> back. So just, st just like stay in your experience and just watch where you start to make a new story out of this. That's the ego just trying to make like another new story. I'm gonna fall apart. <laughs> I'm just a construct. I'm crazy, um, I'm nothing, which is like nihilism. Like all, those are all still more stories. So when I say earlier, like be your own teacher, it's like you have to start getting really vigilant to see how like, as you let something go or start to have a shift, the ego then wants to like make something new about it. Anything else you want to share? I think we'll come back to this. <laughs> Can I say something? Mm -hmm. um, I find that when I get, when I sometimes when I get deep into practice, I get a little panicky about about these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Who am I, and what do I trust? And then. The thing that really helps me is to trust like something really um, really easy to connect to in my experience. Like, like a lot of times it's the ground, like my feet on the ground, the feeling of my feet on the ground. Um, or the breath, whatever is there for you. Because there are things that you can trust when you feel like the sense of trust is shaky. And that question and how you're feeling is really valuable and is a really important part of the process because the hardest people to work with are the people who won't ask that question. They're so confident that they know, that they know. There's no like room to get in there. Dixie, you are next. Yeah, I think I've slightly changed what I was going to say in light of what you said and what you said as well. Um, just because I, like this, these, these sorts of questions, when I was quite young, I, I did actually spin out completely, mm. I think, asking myself these questions. Mm. And um, I was about 19 or something, and I think, I realise now that like a lot of my kind of personality construct has mm. been kind of dealing with that, like, kind of contain that, yeah. in a way that's going to be harsh towards myself. 
And what I, which was, leads to what I was actually going to say, which is in relation to this question about what is your thinking thinking. Because I've been practicing the same thinking, and actually I realize with you saying thinking thinking, that, that my thinking's been quite harsh, oh. like a harsh tone. Oh. But actually thinking thinking sounds kind of playful to me. Oh, and it's kind interesting. Of <laughs> yeah. When you double it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I never thought of that. Maybe, maybe you should say it three times. It definitely softens it. It's like the Indian way they often repeat things. Later, later, later. Yeah, I mean, I haven't shared with you any of my meditation casualties. Which there are many. Um, Your own or other people's? Mine. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is you can trust this process. And um, I've made so many mistakes from strange ways that I've learned things. And I think this is a gradual, soft process. Um, especially the way we run our retreats. And I think it's important to make a distinction between disintegration and unintegration. You know, disintegration is like you try and plow through your personality or you do too much too fast and you can come apart. And unintegration is like what we're looking for. It's the kind of like falling away of grasping which sometimes can have like a lot of emotion associated with it. But it's not um, of the emergency type. You know? It doesn't feel dire. It feels like something in your heart is like needing to change, even if you don't know like how it's gonna change. Or there's a way where you've like identified with yourself like somehow uh, you see as just not necessary anymore. And um, that has huge impacts in your livelihood, in your relationships, in like how you think, in everything. Like maybe even in, like in your sexuality, in like what kind of place you want to live in, in like all these things that affect everything. Um, so just be gentle and also be really vigilant and like watch the ego yeah. before when you were talking about this in yeah. the separate groups mm -hmm. you did mention that um, this unintegration will create yeah. some resistance from our part and you uh -huh. just lightly said that that might be good to have some resistance yeah like, I often say to people like you should always have a little bit of resistance in your practice like a little resistant like you should always feel somehow a little bit of resistance because it means that the practice is working like if you're practicing and there's no resistance the practice probably isn't hitting anything. Like whenever people are like, I sit down and I'm just like really blissful, I'm always like, 
what are you practicing? <laughs> like, I, I just sit down and I'm like, so like, we call them bliss bunnies, you know? Um, if you're practicing what we're doing together, what we're doing together, it's going to start softening grasping, softening attachments, softening addiction, and, and, show, and, and, and letting habits show up, like showing habits. Like what's enlightenment? It's shining a light on your habits. And so, that's a slow process. And, because, and it's slow because there's always resistance on the way. Because you don't want to change, right? Like, who wants to change? I'm like so comfortable, everything's so comfortable, why would I want to change? Do you guys know the Canadian singer named Joni Mitchell? Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago, my, she lives near where we live, and a couple weeks ago, we, were, we stopped at a fruit stand to go on a ferry to go home, and she was standing in front of us. She's very elderly now and, not, and she's ill. And she was with a couple of other people, and she turned around, and I was like, Joni Mitchell, that's amazing. Yeah. And I usually don't get excited about those kind of things, but it's pretty cool. Anyways, she has this live record that I really liked when I was younger. And somebody calls out, you know, play such and such a song. And then she says back to them, nobody ever asked Van Gogh to paint a starry night again. So that's your koan, painting the same story over and over and over. And then painting that story about other people, over and not letting them change, over and over and over. So then you go, thinking, thinking. So um, let's shift gears. And we'll do a little guided meditation that'll just be over maybe like six or seven minutes. And um, you can sit up, you can lie down, but be close to me so I don't have to uh, talk loud. Um, but uh, I don't mind for this meditation if you want to lie down, that's okay. Close, close Let's close the windows, yeah. Yeah, and then I can keep my voice quieter. So, so we'll just take a minute for you to set up. And in this uh, guided practice, um, let's think of this as an experiment where we can just investigate, ask ourselves some questions about our experience. Um, and also, if you're just blank and you can't concentrate, just try and um, stay with your breathing. Remember this question that I asked you earlier, you know, has it, has it ever occurred to you that thinking is optional? 
Have you ever really considered that? So, uh, coming into a comfortable <clears throat> position, whatever that is for you this afternoon. Relaxing the mouth and taking a few long breaths. And when I say a long breath, I mean both a long inhale and a long exhale. And then relax your breath, letting your body and mind calm down. to ask you some questions which are gates. So you can walk through that gate and have a look around. And the first thing I'd like you to notice is whether you think more in words or images. So just look into your experience for the next minute. And with the breath in the background, just notice do you think more in words or images? If you think in words, do you hear them or do you see them as text? If you think mostly in words, do you hear the words, the sentences, or do you see them? And can you identify a location where the words are spoken? If you think in images, is there a place where those images are projected? Is there a place in your body where the images are projected? Look around, be curious, be interested. Look in the laboratory of your body and mind.
If you have trouble finding a location of your thinking or picture thinking, just start at your foot and check your kneecap. and your little finger and start to narrow the area. Are thoughts in your heart, your head? If they're in your head, are they in the front of the head or the back of the head? If they're in your torso, Are they deep in the torso or more superficial in the skin? And just being aware of thinking happening in that location. Now the last thing I want you to pay attention to is notice how there's something that's aware that's not the thinking. There's something aware of images that's not the images. Noticing how you know that you're noticing from a stiller point of view. Can you wake up from the content of your thinking and just see that thinking is happening? step back from thinking and not be so absorbed and maybe even intuit where it's happening in the body Exhale, bow gently, and inhale. 